Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to part two of my interview with Tucker Carlson. I hope you really enjoyed uh, part one. I know I did. Let's get right to it. First show brought to you today by Blackout Coffee, one of our favorites. Come on, guys. It's really important this time of year as you decide where to spend your hard-earned money. Choose companies that share our values in this Christmas season. You know I've been a big, huge fan of Blackout Coffee. I love coffee. Paula loves coffee. Listen, with Blackout Coffee, it's time for you to be awake but not woke. Get coffee with our values, a company that shares our values. They love this country and they love good coffee. I have three, four cups a day. You do you. I love Blackout Coffee. Proud to personally recommend them. As we head into 2024, start the year off right with a resolution to start supporting companies like Blackout Coffee that love the country, love you, love America, and they love good coffee. Do me a favor. Check out blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino. Use coupon code Bongino for 20% off your first order. Ditch those other guys. Blackout Coffee is my favorite. Tastes amazing. It is bold, but never better. Blackout Coffee remains true to our values. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino or use coupon code Bongino for 20% off your first order. Give it a shot. Tell me what you think. You're going to love it. Next sponsor, Mike Lindell and MyPillow. Their employees want to thank you for all the support this past year. You know, they have more than just pillows. You know, they have hundreds of products on sale right now. You can receive free shipping on the entire order. There's no better time to check out their website because Mike Lindell and MyPillow are offering amazing deals on all the MyPillow products. You can get 60% off their new Goose Down comforters, 50% off their MyPillow 2.0, which I sleep on, $90 off the My Slippers for the entire family, roll and go anywhere MyPillows if you're traveling for just $9.99, and don't forget the mattress toppers for as low as $99.99 and so much more. Just go to that radio podcast specials tab at MyPillow.com and use promo code Dan. We'll call right now and you can receive free shipping on your entire order. So call 800-637-4982 or go to the radio podcast specials at MyPillow.com and use promo code. Dan. Welcome back to part two of my interview with the great Tucker Carlson. Again, his new network is at TuckerCarlson.com. Get on there. Get all the Tucker you want all the time. He's on Rumble. He's on X. He's on YouTube. He's everywhere. The show is really fantastic. Tucker, we were talking in part one there about this potential collapse of our society or anything like that if Trump were to be elected because these people just are crazy people. I mean, I don't like Biden. I believe there were a lot of shenanigans in 2020. I've never felt the need to overthrow the government. Um, I have two kids in right. school, but I don't think they think that way. And I got to tell you, I'm very concerned about the messaging out there now. You got Obama doing this movie, Leave the World Behind, about a cyber attack. I saw this article in The Hill the other day. Uh, cyber, China has been engaged in some cyber warfare against the United States, invading our military facilities and stuff. Here, terrifying hacks on critical infrastructure. They, they, you know, they're kicking our asses in this AI and quantum race. I don't want to oversell China. They got their own Potemkin village issues. But the hard reality, Tucker, is we're, we're not prepared. We're teaching our military woke no. bullshit. We're doing like abortions and sex changes in the military. We're not ready for this threat. I, I know you addressed this in some of your content, too. I was watching it last week. I'm, I'm getting a little concerned about this. Well, yeah. And I mean, there are a couple of problems. One, the Internet is not the Internet is designed to be open. Just the basic structure, the form is hard to protect because it wasn't designed for that. It was designed for people who don't know each other to come together in one place. So there's that. The second problem is that American citizens have been designated the main threat to the homeland by the Biden administration, officially designated that repeatedly. And so that means you worked in the bureaucracy. I lived around it. And my dad worked in it for 35 years. So I know how it works. It's like, it's not even about intent. There's a mission stated and the whole blob gets to work on that mission. So if you say conservative Catholics, you know, white supremacists are the main threat above and beyond China or Islamic terror or whatever, that means all the agencies get to work kind of suppressing those people and fighting those people. And one of the things, the main thing that means is surveilling them. So all, not all, but a huge percentage of the energy that our agencies would expend sort of keeping track of what our enemies abroad are doing are being used to keep track of Americans. And the Republicans, who really do hate their own voters in a way that's pathological, <laughs> are just re-upping the spy laws to allow the Biden administration right. to spy on their voters. So that's the point. This just happened. And that's the point at which I'm like, this Mike Johnson guy, this low IQ character from Louisiana, who's the yeah. speaker of the House. It's like, you know what? Know. I'm out. And I'm out. 
I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I'm not going to vote Democrat, of course. They hate me, and I, I return the feeling. But the Republican Party hates us, too. And that, I mean, that's just real. They just allowed, they just re-upped the legal justification for Biden to spy yeah, on Republican do. voters. Are you joking? So I, so that makes them even less prepared to deal with the actual threat, which, spoiler alert, is not Americans. Americans, conservative Americans are not a threat to America. In fact, they're the only people keeping the country together. They're the people fixing your air conditioner when it's broken. They're the people bringing the produce into Whole Foods by truck. They're the best people in the world. No, the threat is foreigners who seek to displace this country as the leader of the world. And we are not only not ready for it, we're not even looking for it. We're looking for, you know, saboteurs under the bed. It's 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 insane. <laughs> it, yes, it's the domestic extremist around every corner. And you're like, that's funny. I've lived in yeah. the United States in multiple states. I yet to run into one. So weird. Heard a lot about it. I was there at 9-11 up in New York. Yeah. But that I know how that happened. I want to get your thoughts on this. Yes. I want to, the China thing is one of the few things, by the way, my, my mind's hard to change. I'm like a 49-year-old old, old dog. Like, I got my ways and that's it. But you and J.D. Vance changed my mind on something. I'm going to get back to that in a second. So teaser here for the audience. But uh, I, had, I got a theory on this Republican thing because I'm with you. Like, they, they really do hate us. I mean, not, there's, like, there's some good guys yes. out there. But, but they really do. They're like, you know, you guys suck and, you know, go after yourselves and vote for us and donate, whatever, and we'll pretend we're doing something. Uh, okay, great. But I always tell the audience because they'll respond to me, especially in the radio show when we do call-ins. Like, well, why do you vote Republican? I say because I, I live in a world of realpolitik and the hard reality is yes. while the, the, the Republicans are not the solution to basically any of my problems, the cause are Democrats. So in a marginal world yes. of marginal decisions, I'm like, okay, I'll right. take death by gun rather than death by chainsaw. Like, that's it. That's the choice you have. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay, right? That's good. I, I'm, I'm stealing that. Yes, that's it, it, right it is. Of course it's true. And by the time November comes, you're like, you know what? I hate one side less and I'm voting for them. But it's oh, gotten to the point where they're not. Look, we're in a period of crisis, of course, in the country, certainly in our political system, I think in our economic system as well. But certainly politically, we're in a crisis. And so what voters need above all is a consistent defender, someone to stand up and say, I'm sorry, you can't send my voters to jail for no reason, which they've been doing at scale. Right. But no one will do that. It, it's, it falls to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's, who I love, but she's like one person who's been there for two terms, or Thomas Massey, or like a handful of people, but right. it should be over 200 people. And it's not because they hate you. You embarrass them. Your interests are, 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 make them feel ashamed. And I don't know how the system got to where it is. I don't know. I mean, the Democrats, your average Democratic voter, has an entire building full of defenders. It's called the U.S. Capitol. Like, they will defend their voters. Yeah. And Republicans won't. And I just think it's the weirdest thing. Like, if, you, if your kids got attacked, you would defend them. But if they felt you wouldn't defend them, they would know they were orphans. And they would yeah. feel alone in the world and panicked. And it's like the most obvious and basic betrayal of responsibility not to defend your people. What's good management? Defending your people. What's good That's leadership so in the military? Said. Defending your people. What's good parenting? Defending your people. What's good politics? Defending your people. And like, that's not hard. I don't have a super high IQ and I get it. How yeah. don't they? That orphan analogy is so, so absolutely apropos. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to drill into my audience's head and radio and pod here both that, you know, don't ever worship politicians, you know, respect outcomes. So like, I'll give you an example. This, yeah. this whole speaker thing. Everybody was like, oh, I love Matt Gates. I hate Matt Gates. I love Matt Gates. I hate Matt Gates. I said, listen, I met Matt Gates a couple of times. I don't give a shit. I don't want to marry Matt Gates. I don't want to date Matt Gates. I, I don't care. All I care about is, is this going to get us a more conservative speaker? If it does, Matt Gates is great. If it doesn't, he did a shitty thing. I don't dislike the guy. He's probably a nice guy. Great hair, whatever. I, I don't care. I'm just telling you, the guy is not the guy you think he is. Like, he doesn't vote. No. And it just drives me freaking bananas that we tend to like idolize these people. And I think not to be a long winded question, but one of the things people loved about your Fox show is, man, there were no golden calves. When that Asa Hutchinson came on your show, that poor dude looked like a freaking deer in headlights. Like he'd never been asked a serious question in his life. I think he thought because he was on Fox, it was going to be like a free pass. And he just sat there like, holy shit. 
I've got to answer questions about cutting kids nuts off. And I was totally unprepared for this. It was great. No, it's well, but I, I was probably too mean to him. I mean, he's a mediocrity and only in a one party state could he get elected. I used to live in Arkansas. I was at the newspaper there and man, is it a great place. I mean, some of my favorite people are from Arkansas and Bryce Mitchell, UFC fighter, my favorite from Arkansas, Jim, you know, John Daly, the golfer from Arkansas. It's a great place, but it's all Republican now. And so in those kinds of states, Oklahoma is the same. The most Republican state has some of the weakest Republicans. It's so interesting because there's no competition. Yeah, You just ascend up the party ladder. The party runs everything. So you can get incredibly mediocre people like Asa Hutchinson. He's only governor because he hung around forever. He doesn't believe anything. He's obviously totally cucked. His wife cannot respect that man. I mean, there's no chance. That Mrs. Hutchinson could be psyched to sleep with Asa Hutchinson, assuming he even wants to, which I doubt. So, like, how could someone like that be governor? You know what I mean? Only in that kind of state. It's sad. So I live in Martin County, Florida, and this is it's it's a Republican county. And we have five county commissioners who just unanimously voted for a tax hike. So I've been just filleting them every day on my national radio show just to like make their lives miserable because I just hate bad Republicans. And one of them totally lied to me. And after I donated to our campaign. So I just like, I, I'm, I'm like, after the cancer thing, Tucker, I'm like, fuck the world. Like, I'm just, I'm all in it for you guys, the listeners, everyone else can kiss my ass. And that's the thing. Like we have a Republican county, they've been in charge forever. And you just nailed it. It's like, there's no real competition. And you're almost like, it's crazy. Like I'd rather just vote for like a Democrat. At least they'll tell you the truth. Like, hey, we're going to raise your taxes. Exactly. Then a guy who's going to lie to my face. But I want to get back to the, the China thing because you. They must hate you. They must hate oh, you they, everybody so much. Does. <laughs> Except the audience, which is all I give a shit about. Because as you know, man, I, I tell you, I'm being serious as a freaking stroke right now. Tucker, the only power we have is TuckerCarlson.com, Dan Bongino on Rumble, your new podcast on Apple, Spotify. That's my power. My power is you watching. Yeah. It's not me. There's nothing special about me. I'm not Professor X. I'm a broken down, arthritic ridden 49 year old dude. But the fact <laughs> that you all have followed along in the Bongino army and you had three and a half million freaking people a night on Fox, many, many are going to follow you on these various platforms. That's power, man. But it's power. It's the ultimate meritocracy and democracy. You know, that other shit in politics is fake power. Those people are phonies. I watched Asa. You look like he was going to. Crap his diaper that night. It was great. But I don't change my mind often. <laughs> I know. It's kind of, I'm sorry about all the cussing. It's a Queens thing. My apologies. It's not no, on I love totally it. on me. Yeah. I got a terrible mouth. But uh, the China thing, I, I am an avid kind of libertarian in the sense that free trade is my thing and almost at all costs. I was absolutely convinced. And one day I'm listening to a, a econ talk with Russ Roberts. Great podcast. Guy's a genius. And, you know, different brand of politics than me, but super smart. And he was talking about Hillbilly Elegy, J.D. Vance's great book. And the topic came up at some point in there about China and me being an average free trader. I always said, like, listen, if China wants to be the king of rubber dog toys, then screw it. Let them do it. Like, we'll build high end stuff here. Like, what do we give a shit? But, you know, listening to you and J.D. over the years got me really thinking. Is that really the end goal? Like, is economic growth the end goal of everything, knowing it's going to result in many cases, especially with a with a parasitic economy like China, in the hollowing out of American towns and and cities that had been bedrocked in production, like is that re you really got me to think about that over time and really changed my position to a more fair trade rather than free trade position. Well, I I mean I I go with your standard actually on economics. So you just said wisely. I don't really care what ex-politician is like. I care about the outcome. Like, what, what, what's, what do we get in the end? Does it make things better or worse? And I feel that way about, quote, economic growth, which is just like another measure that economists um, in the federal government use to describe the economy, like CPI or a lot of others, employment rate. Um, so what changed my mind in economic growth, I mean, I was always pro-economic growth. I guess I still am, sort of. But I spent time in Japan, which I would recommend to everybody. You can't move to Japan because Japan is for the Japanese and they love their culture. They're happy to have you. you. You can't live there if you're not Japanese because it's just too different. But when you go there, you realize all this stuff about economic growth is a total lie because Japan doesn't have economic growth and hasn't for a long time. And economists in the United States are always like, oh, Japan's a disaster. And you go to Japan 
And it's not only not a disaster, it's so much nicer than the United States that you're thinking, well, who won the war? There's no chance you lost a world war. I think we must have been there because uh, it's unbelievable. It's like literally unbelievable and nice in the in the truest sense of the word. It's totally clean. It's utterly orderly. It's incredibly polite. There are unaccompanied four year old girls on the subway. No one thinks about it because there's no chance that those girls will be bothered, much less hurt. And you're like, if this is the result of zero economic growth, bring it on, man. Bring me some low economic growth. And, and but, but again, maybe the real answer is I don't care what the economic growth numbers are. I don't want a freaking dollar store in my town. I don't want a bunch of junkies, you know, living in subsidized housing next door, which is the story throughout rural America, okay? Yeah. Which is in much worse shape than some parts of Harlem. And we just sort of ignore that, but it's real. I, you know, I live there, I can tell you. And that's not measured by the numbers that Washington is spitting out. It's it's all fake. What I care about is the society. Are people happy? Are they getting married? Can they have children? Is there an expectation their children will do okay? Do you imagine your grandchildren living in this country? And if the answer is no, or if you're killing yourself, then we've got a huge problem that we have to fix immediately, but no one even acknowledges it because the private equity class is thriving and that's all anybody cares about. But I don't want to live in a society run by oligarchs, actually, at all. It's not at all what I want. I want to live in a society where there's some connection between people. We're all considered morally equal. Everybody has a shot. The meritocracy is real. And I don't have to take orders from some rich person just because he's rich. Like, I'm sorry, I am a rich person. I still don't want to live like that. I don't like that. I'm an egalitarian. And I don't know why. That used to be a very American view. But now it's like, oh, you're an egalitarian. Are Are you a communist? I hate communism. No, well, they'll, they'll throw the, the, term, the term populist around is kind of become a new oh. insult du jour. Like, oh, you're as if, you know, you're like Taylor Swift and you're trying to create just like music. Every, that's not what you're saying makes perfect sense. And I spent a lot of time in Japan in my prior line of work. And it was interesting. I, I, I'd flown over in that region not that long ago. And I'm on an American airliner commercial. And I won't say, well, it doesn't even matter, but. I got to tell you, like the, the 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 person who was helping us out, let's say, couldn't have been more obnoxious. It was almost like you were bothering them, so I just didn't bother. I just like did my own thing, and and then I got on this Japan airline, and and the plane wasn't as nice. I'll say that, but my gosh, it's like it was. You, I remember, I remembered how it was in Japan when I would have been there ten years ago. I got on this Japan airline as a JAL, and my gosh, they like can't do enough for you. It's almost like you have to say, okay, I, like I so deeply appreciate it. And I remembered staying in what the Imperial in Japan, and like they give you the bow when you get in the elevator. And then I tried to give someone a tip, and it was almost like an insult. You know, it's just me, the oh, Queen's kid. And you're so right. It's like, is it really worth it, all of this? And I think you kind of answered that question. I remember standing on the train platform in Tokyo, taking one of the famous high-speed trains to Kyoto. And the train pulls up, people get off. You're not allowed to get on. This army of 80-year-old women gets on, cleans up the train in like two minutes and gets back off again. They're all in uniform. And I said to someone, what is this? And I said, well, there are a lot of you know older women, widows. Every society has them. And they want to work. And the society's decided to harness their energy, give them purpose. And we really like cleanliness. We like clean trains. Why would you want a dirty train? And, and so they clean the train. And everyone respects them, You know, bows to them. They bow back. And I'm like... That's the most cohesive functional society I've ever seen is the opposite of the one that I live in. And I'm not exactly sure what the lessons are. Like, how do you get there? There are a lot of factors in Japan that we could not replicate here, obviously. But I think we need to be trying to be more like that. Why wouldn't we? The point is not to make some tiny group of people even richer. You know, the Yellowstone Club has enough. I don't know. I don't, I mean, and I'm not a left winger on economics at all. Of course, I'm a lifetime right winger. I was never liberal. I never went through that phase. I just think whatever we've done did not work. I live here. I know there's garbage by the side of the road. That's not acceptable. And anyone who thinks it's acceptable to live in a country with garbage on the street is not someone who shares my values. And Tucker, I think the worst part about this whole thing is you know, we had assumed when we, I mean, obviously collectivism and socialism is a, is, is, is a brutal historical fair. I always joke it's got a 100% success rate of failing every time it's been tried. Right. But the yeah. irony of our system here, which has become kind of a bastardized capitalism, we don't live in a free market. I love when people tell me like, no. free markets don't work, look at healthcare. I like, well, <laughs> that's funny. You thought healthcare was a free market? Like, what are you crazy? 50% of it's paid for by the government. Like, give me a break. Don't be a moron. 
But we had this idea that, you know, China's admission to the World Trade Organization was going to bring about this free market and this clamoring for liberty amongst Chinese citizens. And they'd get away from this Mao Zedong model. And the sickest part of the whole thing is they didn't become more like us. We became more like them. I mean, I'm looking, exactly. pull up that White House thing. This is the craziest thing. They're pushing for CBDCs here, central bank digital currencies. We got the FBI spying on Americans. I mean, openly Catholics in the Latin mass, pro-lifers, school board parents. You've got the government in the Missouri versus Biden case openly working with social media to censor people. Government surveillance on disfavored political people. China didn't become more like us. We're becoming like them. This is crazy. And I would say that there's no country on the face of the earth that looks at the American system anymore and says, I want some of that. You know, I want to rep. I mean, there was a time for over 50 years, post-1945, post-war, when every new government around the world copied the U.S. Constitution. That is no longer happening. Not because our Constitution is bad. It's the best that has ever been written, in my opinion. But because the effect of our system on our country is so obviously bad that people are looking to new models. And people are like giving up on democracy around the world. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling. I said seven foreign trips in the last four months and met with a lot of people who run countries and think about how to run countries. And we are no longer a beacon for good governance around the world. And our State Department is so out of control. It's such a force for bad around the world. And they'll roll into your, I mean, I've spent a lot of heads of state recently. They'll roll into your country and they'll be like, look, you know, you don't have enough gay kids. And the president will go, well, okay, well, it's kind of not your business. <laughs> right. and, the, and the state department will be like, no, no, no. We, we want to make sure that your kids are <laughs> trans. You know that, that? That's our one non-negotiable. I'm, no, I'm not joking at all. I yeah, said, no, I had this I conversation know. last night in my living room. Yeah. And it's like, and we're going to cut off aid unless you like rejigger your sexual politics. And most people who run other countries and who live in other countries are like, wait a second, we're a sovereign country. We can have any kind of sexual politics we want. It's kind of not up to you. But we are aggressive cultural imperialists in pushing the LBGTQ plus agenda to a much greater extent than people understand. It's like, it's crazy. That's what we're exporting. I mean, whether you're for it or against it, that's our export. This was a country that once exported freedom and Coca-Cola helped bring down the wall in yeah. East Berlin. And now but it doesn't we're matter, Tucker, like you said sex be before. That they throw, you know, gays off buildings in the uh, in the Gaza Strip. It's again, it's it's not hypocrisy like, oh, no, no, they have two different sets of principles. It's one principle. What they see is this intersectionality thing is a path to power. And if they can garner votes by supporting a bunch of murderous terrorists, they don't really give a shit like it's not even about LGBT principles. It's about the idea that this is a lot of people they see candidly as just useful in their move to power. If the L, I'll give you a perfect example. Did you answer me? I mean, I'll just, you know, LGBTQ, BIOPC, whatever. I, I lose my track with all this stuff all the time. If they turned around tomorrow and voted 90% Republican, you damn well know that that exact conversation you had last night would be the exact opposite. You have way too many gays in your country. Too many gay, bisexual, trans people. You know 100% they would flip on a dime. It is, it's only a power play. <laughs> of course, that's entirely true. And, and weirdly, in the world that I live in, I know a lot of extremely right-wing gays. <laughs> so they're <laughs> so out there. I mean, I, yes. I don't know why. I just happen to know a bunch of them. And um, so, yeah, there's not uniformity in that world uh at all, at all or in any world i mean people are individuals they have their own views on things and that's something we should celebrate true diversity um but you're absolutely right this is mostly it's not even political it's a grab for power the whole point of the democratic party there are no ideas behind it of course there's no ideology behind it it changes every year the only consistent theme in democratic politics over the last 20 years has been Safety in numbers. If we get enough of us together around any organizing principle that works, we will have power. And that's yeah. all we want. And boy, I think that's a scary rationale for a political movement. Oh, Put me in gosh. charge because. I mean, terrifying. It is. They have nothing. Their, their whole thing is don't vote. It's, their thing isn't like the bumper sticker, vote for me, Democrat, so-and-so. It's don't vote against the other guy because he's a racist Nazi who's going to kill you. 
But you're so right. Like there is no unanimity in that at all. I I was in uh, Beverly Hills not that long ago visiting a friend of a friend, not my type, but I'm on a radio station out there. And I'm in this restaurant. I won't say which because I'll probably burn the place down the left. And this guy comes running out. He's like, I can't say anything in a restaurant. I'm a huge fan of your show. And he still emails me. And it just kind of cracked me up, like even in Beverly Hills. Um, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll finish up our uh, interview here with Tucker Carlson. By the way, folks, the website is tuckercarlson.com. Tuckercarlson.com. You'll see it down there in the Chiron. It'll be in the email blast. Click on it. Subscribe. What you're getting for the content is going to be priceless. I know you miss them. So there you go. You got them there on X. You got them there on Rumble. You got them there at tuckercarlson.com. We'll be right back with Tucker Carlson. Thanks so much. Hope you're enjoying this interview as much as I am. I told you it was worth it. Quick break here. Hey, the holidays are here. Let Omaha Steaks take the guesswork out of gifting. Shop carefully curated gift packages that are guaranteed to make spirits bright all winter long. Go to omahasteaks.com. Save 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use promo code Bongino at checkout, get an additional $30 off your order. Send tender, juicy, mm, butcher's cut filet mignons, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, or even easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shipping rush. Go to omahasteaks.com, use promo code BONGINO at checkout. Omaha Steaks, a gift from the heart, a gift that'll be remembered with every delicious, unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com, take advantage of 50% off site-wide, plus use promo code BONGINO at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. It's a big savings. Check them out. Minimum order may be required. Thanks, Omaha Steaks. Our last sponsor today, Patriot Mobile. For 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, standing behind their service and their principles as a company. They're an example of putting the cause ahead of profits. That's why I'm proud to be partners with them. Everybody's flocking over to Patriot Mobile. Switch today and get a free month of service. Can't beat that. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you access to all three major networks, which means you'll get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, support a company who believes in free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, or Second Amendment rights, and our military and first responder heroes. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team, they make switching easy. Keep your number, and for a limited time, get a free month of service. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Dan and Tucker or call 972-PATRIOT. Use promo code Dan and Tucker. Again, that's a free month, but you must use promo code Dan and Tucker. This is a limited time offer. Join me and make the switch today. Patriotmobile.com slash Dan and Tucker. That's patriotmobile.com slash Dan and Tucker or call 972 Patriot. All right, Tucker, this is it. We'll wrap it up. You've been awesome. Thank you so much. I hope I'm not like, man, I'm enjoying this so much. I love it. It's like the most fun I've had all week. Thank you. You're the man, brother. I can talk to you all day. So I'm so glad I ran into you at the UFC. All right, I'll jump back in. By the way, just quick, I'm going to play just a quick soundbite here. It's short. It's you, you know, Yuval Harari, this globalist guy they all love. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is it. I just want to get your virgin reaction to this because this thing is going to be great. So we'll jump right back in. Uh, you know, we were talking about China, how we're becoming more like China, them not like us, which is such, yeah, it's, it's so unbelievably ironic. We're like, ah, put them in the WTO. Free markets will solve everything. It didn't. The irony of the COVID crisis is these globalists out there, the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset crowd, these IMFers, Bo Lee, they love this totalitarian model. They they adore it. And there's this guy, Yuval Harari, I know you know him, 60 Minutes loves him, all the big globalists love him, the Obamas probably love him too. He really nailed it with this soundbite about COVID, how what they were allowed to get away with is such a perfect vehicle for their new little authoritarian future. Here, check this out. It's not an extremely deadly virus. It's not the Black Death. And look what it's doing to the world. So now just try to think what will be the implications of a much bigger uh, problem like climate change. Also, conceptually, it shows that, um, and here I completely agree with you, Ratgar, that it shows you that you can change things on a massive scale. That, um, and again, you can stop all flights. You can lock down entire countries. You can actually do that. And uh, life goes on in some way. And this, I would say, may make us more open to radical ideas about how to deal also with climate change. This is it. Tucker, this may be my favorite clip of all time. This is the globalist mindset. Like, we got you guys to put a face diaper on your face that does jack freaking shit. 
and we got you to take an experimental vaccine and really nobody did much about it. So next we'll give you a carbon passport, a central bank digital currency. Shit, we'll stamp a QR code on your forehead and you all are just going to go along. I mean, they just listen to their own words. You don't got to make stuff up. Well, I'll just make the obvious observation that that's evil and he's evil. Um, He also is a remarkably effective communicator, which is scary. I mean, he's not stupid. I I read his book, Sapien, actually beautifully written book. Not even his first language, by the way. I don't think English is his first language. And he wrote a, you know, so he is. And he's he's a great communicator, which is even more ominous. But he's evil. And he's evil for a really simple reason. He's an atheist. And atheists shouldn't have power for a obvious reason, which is there's no limit to what they believe they can do. They think they're God. And that's the kind of person who's happy to commit genocide in the name of a greater good, because there's no restraining power. He doesn't acknowledge any power beyond his own will. So it's not like, well, there's certain things I can't do. Well, there's nothing, of course, you can't do. And there's nothing you can't justify to yourself when you are certain there is no God, as distinct from agnostics, which describes most people like on some days they think this and some days they think that, but they're not, they're not totally sure that they're in charge of the universe. An atheist is absolutely positive that there is no higher power than his own will. And that is the vehicle for evil always. There's never been a genocidal dictator who is not an atheist. And so mm. that guy and people like him are a threat to your life. They're not just wrong, they're evil, and we should be very afraid of them, particularly him. Like Gavin Newsom, there's the marriage of no restraint at all, no principles, no scruples, no acknowledgement of anything over himself, and the ability to communicate very effectively. So there are a lot of bad people in the world, a lot of evil people, but very few of them have the capacity to convince others. And that guy does, and so does Gavin Newsom, and that's, that's why those are the people I'm afraid of. Yeah, I mean, it's why I sat in the hotel room at the Shelbourne in Manhattan during the nominating convention for John Kerry. I listened to Barack Obama, a senator at the time, give a speech. And I called my girlfriend, now wife, Paula. I said, um, Paula, this guy's going to be big trouble, Obama. And, uh, you know, I knew it. Yeah. I Little I know I'd be protecting this guy a few years later as a Secret Service agent. I was just, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, little did I know at the time. Uh, Tucker, I'll, I'll kind of end on a. Wait, wait, can, wait, can, wait, can, wait, can I just yeah, ask you yeah, if course. you don't mind? But no, how did you perceive that he was going to be a bad person? How did what 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 was the tip off? Well, I had spent a lot of time about around Bill Clinton in my first years as an agent, and I was sitting in a holding room. Yeah. Holding room is where the it's at every site. It's where the president gets to go to get away yeah. from everything to hold. Um, there's very few people are allowed in there except for VVIP. So I'm sitting in one in New York and the staff guy, they have escort privileges, says, hey, let these two guys in. I'm pretty sure they were local Republicans. And I remember them talking and they were like, you know, fuck this guy. When he comes in here, I'm going to tell him this shit and, that and all this other stuff like that. And I'm listening to this whole thing. And Clinton walks in. Hey, but now you probably met Clinton. Clinton, like, listen, love him or hate him. That brother's sweated oh. charisma, man. The sweat. Oh, yeah. I don't know what is some special, you know, Professor X oil or whatever the hell he had. He just, the dude had it. Again, I don't have to like the guy. Yes. I mean, the ladies no, apparently liked him. I agree. You 100%. He was, a, he was the best politician I had ever seen. And you're around these guys. And these Republican guys left. And I'll never forget. The guy said something like, I never vote for the guy, but man, I get it. And I got to tell you, I'm sitting in that <laughs> hotel room, it's a true story, in the Shelbourne, and I'm doing counter surveillance. I'm on a break. And I'm a diehard conservative libertarian, brother. Like, I never folded in my life. And I'm listening to this liberal Democrat, like, shit, man, this guy, it, what am I? What's wrong? Like, he's, he's, imp- I'm getting emotional over his speech. And oh, I said to myself, holy shit. If, if I'm getting emotional over this speech, can you imagine if you're a Democrat? You'll freaking run off a cliff for this guy. And it's exactly what happened with the Hopi Changey shit. So, yeah, I saw it coming. That's so smart. I had the, I've had the same experience with both of them and around that time, exact same experience. So, But oh. I didn't quite get how dangerous Obama was. I wish I had, but I, I certainly saw the charm for sure. No, I... I, I 
I just, uh, I said to Paula, this guy is going to be big trouble, but I, I'll tell you, and, and you haven't been around these guys. I mean, you've been around a lot more people than I, I mean, I, I was there because I was working with them and you're around them every day in kind of a different sense. Bush was the worst politician I'd ever seen. You know, I, I, he's not my kind of Republican anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And again, I'm not sharing anything out of turn here. It's just, he just wasn't good at it. He was just weird and cringy around people. Uh, yes. Obama yeah. was like, Obama was charismatic, but it was ironically, you could never one up Obama. So like if he was around the average Joe, he was a natural, like he played basketball with him. People like, man, he's really cool. Like, but if he was around someone he thought was trying to game him, which was everyone, because, you know, the old, you know, those people, you've been around some of these people. They want to flex. Hey, look at my muscles, my wallet. Obama would kneecap your ass right away. He would make you look like shit in front of everyone to show you like he was the king in that moment. But Clinton wouldn't do that. Clinton, I spent a time at this residence in the Hamptons with him at a pool party. Must have been 2,000 people there. Pat. Russell Simmons was there, everyone. And man, it didn't matter if you were Russell Simmons or Simmons Russell. He'd be like, hey, buddy. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. This guy is the, I've never seen anything like it. Just like a I magic, totally pop, which is so funny because he's married to Hillary, who's like the worst person ever and everyone hates. You're like, how did that happen? You know? Well, I mean, that's his penance, you know. Yeah. That, that's his punishment. <laughs> No, but you're so your perceptions are in so spot on. That's ex what you just said is exactly what I've experienced with both of those guys. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a reason they became president. Both. Oh yeah. Oh, it's not an accident. It's not an accident at all. And it's you know it's it, it, not to get totally off topic. I just want to finish with this thing here. But you and I both know Trump a lot. But I, I'm not name dropping. Who cares? He's got a lot of friends, whatever. But you and I spend a lot of like kind of one on one time with him, and yep. um. Trump's got that same thing. It's like, it's weird that he's got this reputation. We're we speaking out in public. Like, it's kind of like this shtick, like bravado and I'm rich. I got a gold toilet or whatever. And the left is like, look, he's such an ego guy. But the hard reality about Donald Trump and the reason he's engendered such loyalty amongst people who really know him is in private, he's a totally different guy. He's actually yeah. almost overly concerned with how you feel about him. And it's not an ego thing. It's like, he wants to make it like he'll always bring people over to the table. Hey, Stan Bongino, he got 100,000 people on his podcast. And the guy's like, well, I don't even know who the hell you are. Like, who gives a shit? But he wants to make you feel important. He's got a gift for that, too. Totally true. Well, it's not just a gift, but like a compulsion. Like, he never stops. If you go no. visit him at his place, and, and he basically lives at his clubs, he'll be standing in the lobby waiting for you like yeah. an innkeeper. And he'll show you around. <laughs> and then when he has dinner, this is the thing that always blows my mind. He gets a table in the middle of the patio right. or the middle of the dining room. <laughs> he don't hide. So most people who are in public, I mean, I'm, you know, 100th as famous as Donald Trump. But like when I have dinner, it's usually like in my backyard. You know what I mean? Or like right. come over to my house because yep. it's just quiet. You don't get bothered. Trump likes to meet people. Loves and they come over and he'll know everything about everybody at the table. Exactly as you <laughs> said, here's so-and-so. And, you know, brag about the people at the table. It's like the most... It's he never talks about himself. And, and, he talks about everybody else. No, and then he's right. DJing. That's, he'll have the iPad. He'll be like, what do you want to hear? I, I said to him, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you and I share a mutual friend in, in, in Kid Rock. So, yeah. so I'm at the table and we're at Bedminster and he's DJing. He's playing Pavarotti or whatever. And I'm not an opera guy. I don't know. I'm Nasa Domo. I don't know shit about opera. I grew up in Queens. I didn't even know what opera was. So he's like playing it. He goes, well, what do you like? I said, well, you know, I, I like Kid Rock. So he puts some Kid Rock on. He goes, hey, whatever he's, he's the guy he had for a day. He goes, Tony, whatever his name is, come on over. He goes, get Bobby on the phone. So he puts him on the phone. And he's like, I'm like, I had never met Kid Rock in my life. This is like three years ago. It was before I, you know, known who he was and got to hang out with him a little bit. And he puts him on the phone. And my wife's like cracking up like that's just Trump. And then like the first time I meet him, I'm at Mar-a-Lago. This is like right after he gotten into office. And I'm with a friend of a friend. And the guy brings me over to the table and he loves crab meat, apparently. So he's got the thing with the, the server with the top thing that like all the rich people get. So he, he's sitting at the table. He's, oh my gosh, Dan Bongino. Holy shit. And I'm looking around like for someone else, like there's another Dan Bongino because I can't believe he knows who I am. And he looks at me. <laughs> True story, brother. He goes, you want some crab meat? It's his crab meat on a plate. I'm like, with my fingers? Like, I'm not going to eat your crab meat. He's like, 
He was dead serious. Like, do you want to eat the crab right. meat off my plate? Like, it's so Donald Trump. So, all right. I got one more thing. He's an amazing person. Amazing person. I completely agree. Again, didn't become president by accident. No, not an accident at all. You know, we were talking in the beginning, kind of like a, a great way. I just got a, just a couple more things I wanted to, I want to get to you about. Um, the power of the media. And one of the things that always bothers me, stupid things get in my head, Tucker. I don't know if you feel the same way. I, I can't get them out. One of them is like, it always bothered me that the left will say something so factually incorrect. And because they've got this armada of media people, it, ex, it's, it becomes accepted as kind of gospel, like doctrinaire truth. And it's, it, the right doesn't have that. Like if you and I even quote the left, like, oh, demographic destiny, Julian Castro said that. It's like, oh, you guys are racist. I'm like, I'm just quoting the other guy. But the left can make stuff up. And one of them, speaking of kind of a nice segue, unintentional, this Clinton surplus thing drives me freaking bananas. My audience gets a kick out of it because it never happened. Yet when you talk to the yeah. left in order to make it seem like they're fiscal stewards, they're like, well, Bill Clinton ran a surplus. So I always just, I, I keep this on my phone handy just to show you how, this is not, a, forget about Bill Clinton or finance, <laughs> nothing, it's about the media. They will tell you this happened. It is like the chupacabra. There's no such thing. Here is the actual government de debt by year, the years of Bill Clinton. You'll see an interesting phenomenon. It goes up every year, the national debt. So if there was a Clinton surplus, the debt would go down, not up. So there it is right there, folks. You can actually look the numbers up. This is from the Treasury, by the way. So you can look this up yourself. And it just drives me. It's such a seemingly insignificant thing, but it drives me bananas because you'll watch Sunday shows now and it'll still come up. They'll be like, you know, when Bill Clinton ran a surplus, I'm like, bro, that never happened. You're just making that shit up. Well, when you're, you know, it works and that's why they do it. So when you're old, your grandchildren will look you right in the face and say, Grampy, were you there for the white supremacist insurrection of, right. of, yes. of January 6th? And you'll yes. be like, what? You know what I mean? And then that yes. makes you, if I'm being honest, it makes you wonder about a lot of things that have happened in the last hundred years. Like how many of them are real and how many of them are the product of just repetitious lies? I mean, there's kind of, whatever, I could give you a million examples, but I would just say a lot of people are waking up to the fact that the cliches upon which we make a lot of our decisions, the assumptions that we have about the way the world is and about what happened within the lifetime of our grandparents, like a lot of that stuff is totally fake, completely yeah. fake. Yeah. And, and it has political uses. And that's why they lied in the first place. And so, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of bewildering once you, once you get, I mean, I, Honestly, I don't believe anything on the internet. That's kind of where I am now. And <laughs> it is useful to read older books about things before the censorship was as universal as it is now. And you're just like, wait, what? You know, really? Roosevelt knew the Japanese were going to bomb Pearl Harbor? Yes. And a Senate committee determined that? Yes. Why, yeah. why didn't I know that? You know, and a lot of other things. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Your point about he who writes the history, you know, gets to kind of dictate what the facts are. I um I yeah. I like reading Nassim Taleb's books. I mean, some people like him, some people yeah. hate him. I don't really care, but his books are interesting nonetheless and thought provoking. And there's a part of his book, The Black Swan, one of his one of his uh, bestsellers, where he talks about that how the history is just really written for people to like consume it by narrative tellers and want to tell your story. So he, he gives this great example of how you know uh, when you read the history, like the tension was building into World War One and the world was on edge. And then he writes, really go look at like the bond market. Like that's interesting. It wasn't moving at all. Like you're just making that up. Like that's totally <laughs> fabricated bullshit. So your exactly. point is, it's, right? It's like, but you take it as fact, just like you said, like it, decades from now, because Libby's write the textbooks, 100% January 6th is going to be the worst thing that ever happened. Even though I was literally in a doctor's office getting my ears checked because I had an ear infection. Like what? The world was going to collapse and you were getting an ear infection checking? Yeah. Like that no, happened. Yeah, there was some bad shit that went down. They squelched it. There were people there who legitimately had a beef with the election. But you guys made it out to be like Pearl Harbor. And that's how it's going to be written. And last question, I promise, TuckerCarlson.com. Subscribe. I'll put the link in the email list. There it is right there in the Chiron, TuckerCarlson.com. Tucker, the only area I think you and I disagree on some stuff, I shouldn't say disagree. I'm, not, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say I'm a non-interventionist, but- I'm when he's, we lost my uncle in Vietnam in, in, in the late 60s, and I, I obviously wasn't alive. But um, 
you know, it changed my family forever. I mean, my grandmother died depressed and I frequently say to myself, my, you know, my uncle Greg, like, you know, what, what was that really about? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it. Like I said, I'm, I'm in, I believe in realpolitik. Maybe there was an anti-communist goal over there. Maybe it did stop the spread of communism. I don't know. But I think we're far too cavalier with how we send our, 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 our boys and girls and men and women overseas. It's like the Ukraine argument for me, it's, it's, it's like, I get it. I understand like Russia is about Russia and they're not about us. And if they could get rid of us, they probably would. But the lionizing of Ukraine after their unquestionable role in the attempted takedown of Donald Trump and other things, it's kind of naive too. Like this isn't the white knight story you think it is. And I'll I'll just never forget Fox Connors rules of war, you know, never go to war alone, never go to war for long. And never go to war unless you absolutely have to. And it seems like that shit's gone out the window and the people sending our men and women overseas don't want to do shit themselves. They just want you to go over there and your tax dollars. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything that you just said. And and I feel the sadness. I mean, Vietnam really hurt this country in a profound way. Not as much as the Ukraine war has, though. Because that's caused a complete global reset away from the U.S. dollar and has accelerated the formation of this massive block against us, which is the majority of the world's money and population, to form a separate financial system so they can't, you know, they're not subject to U.S. sanctions. So yes, bricks. Right. So this is like a, this is a history changing moment. And I have, like, I never would defend Russia rolling across the border into eastern Ukraine. I wasn't that interested, I'll be totally honest with you, because it's so far away and it's not relevant to the country that I have lived in my whole life. But I'm not for it. I'm not pro-Russia. I'm not even anti-Ukraine. I didn't have strong emotions either way, and I really still don't. I feel so sorry for the entire generation of Ukrainian men that's been killed at the demand of the Biden administration. They've got blood on their hands. But mostly what I object to is anything that hurts my country. And I think that's totally fair. It doesn't make me a defender of some regime in another country. I feel that way about all countries, you know, and and yeah. like my ancestors came from certain countries, Sweden and the UK. I'm not that interested in Sweden and the UK. I wish them well. But I mean, it's like if they went to war, my first question would be, does this help or hurt my country and my children and my neighbors? Because I'm American. And to see our leaders take such a different view on that is like shocking to me. But whatever mm-hmm. they do. So I'm pointing it out. That doesn't make me a bad person in my view. It just makes me an American asking obvious questions. Oh, shut up, Putin, Paul, whatever. I mean, yeah, they and, seem and last to, thing I'll say is- They seem to I love that. I'm sorry, anymore. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just don't, like I've spent a lot of time being mad about the things that people have called me racist or white supremacist. Like to the point where I actually thought to myself in the shower, am I a racist? And then I realized, actually, I'm really not. And by the way, if I was, I'd probably admit it. And same with Russia. Am I a Putin defender? No. And if I was, I would just go ahead and defend Putin. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So now those criticisms are so meaningless to me that they have no sway over me at all. I really don't care. And I think it's worth pushing. Tell me how this helps my country, our country. And if they can't answer that question, then I'm against it. It's just fascinating how the formerly, you know, hippie peacenik left is now they're the new warmongers. And I'm with you 100%. I would really like to see Vladimir Putin lose. I spent a lot of time in Russia. Uh, A lot of the stuff that goes, there's some really bad stuff happening in Russia. And I, I, like you, I I wish nothing but the best for the Ukrainians. They they certainly don't deserve to be getting bombed out at all. Um, But I I, I just, what I don't get about the whole Ukraine-Russia saga is the effort by people in the media to infantilize us and talk to us like we're children. Like, just be honest, like, what is the end game? Does Ukraine honestly have a chance, no matter what we give them, F-16s, we give them new harpoons for Taiwan or whatever it is, like, what's your end game? And the interesting thing is they can never answer that. They're not, we're going bankrupt. We have no Southern border. We have the destruction of our culture at home. And then you're paying, you know, Ukrainian pensions and you're wondering why people like you and I, you know, ask questions like, Hey, is, is, is that really the best thing for, you know, my kids? Cause I pay taxes here and my family shed blood. Like my uncle's dead exactly. for a war that ended in nothing but the same essential semi-communist system they have now. Like, I'm going to ask questions and, you know, you shut the fuck up. Like, I I have some questions here, bro. It's my money and it's my country. 
and you have a right to ask them. And, and I would say what you already know and you always say on your show, which is that if they get hysterical about something and call you names instead of answering the question, there's something there. There's a reason they're doing that. I, I know in my own life, I don't become hysterical unless I'm wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's one of the reasons being called yeah. a racist has never really bothered me that much because I'm right. not a racist. I, right. I have a lot of faults. You know, I always gain at least 30 pounds a year. And if people are constantly saying you're fat now, it'd probably hurt my feelings because it's kind of true. Do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I might get hysterical if you call me that. Yeah. But they get hysterical on the things like me and everybody else that they're sensitive about. And they're sensitive about those things because they're lying about yeah. those things. And they're trying to hide what they're actually doing. Tucker, you've been so generous with your time. I, I so deeply appreciate it. His new media venture. Oh is at tuckercarlson.com. Tucker, tell my audience, how can they get on there? Where can they find you? Uh, you know, I, I give them all the details because I know they're going to flock over there. Well, just tuckercarlson.com, but also on Rumble. And by the yeah. way, uh, I, I came here at the urging of Dan Bongino. So I'm really honored to be we, here. And congrats on all your crazy success. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, I Early on, I took the best advice I ever got from someone, which is, Always invest in yourself, but only if you believe you're not a lazy ass mofo. If you're going to get the work done, <laughs> and I did, I had the opportunity and many times to uh, take a you know lump sums, and I said, I want a lump sum. I want I want a piece instead because you know what? I'm yeah. going to make your thing. Well, big. You were Just smart. Like, oh, you, that's the way you to were do smart it. I mean, because got, you, you're doing the, it now. The highest live stream. The highest live stream on the internet. <laughs> so that's crazy. Big. I'm always kind of weirded out by that. I mean, we were on. Uh, the other day, and we had 102,000 people, and I'm like, holy shit, this is like, like the big house in Michigan or something like that. So, yeah, but yeah. listen, uh, Rumble, you you got 158,000 something in 24 hours, subscribers, followers. I couldn't believe it. So go to Rumble.com, follow them there, follow them on X, and TuckerCarlson.com. Tucker, thanks again for your time, and uh, uh, listen, man, I owe you a favor. So you ever need a guest for your show, I'm volunteering my name right now. You guys are terrific. <laughs> Done! Thank you, Dan. I loved it. You got it. Thanks, folks. Really appreciate you tuning in. See you back here next week. I hope you enjoyed that two-part special with Tucker Carlson. We'll be doing more of these interviews in the future. They're great around the holidays. They give you some extra content. Please spread them around. I really appreciate it. And download the Rumble app. We'll go to rumble.com slash Bongino. Click that follow button. We really appreciate it. Three million followers on this account. We, uh, we're just overwhelmed by all the support. Thank you so much. Hope you all have a very Merry Christmas, and we will see you back here tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show.